This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome into this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast, the official podcast of Minor League Baseball with me, Tyler Mon, and your trusty co-host, Samuel P. Dykstra, on his 31st birthday! Oh, Happy birthday, Sam! The thing you could have lied about. You Samuel chose it again. Prospectus Dykstra. Yeah. His 31st birthday. chose to birthday. lie about my middle initial, but not his, lie about my age. His 22nd birthday today. There we go. Amazing. Amazing. The hair is fantastic for his birthday. It's all great. Happy birthday. Thank you. How's Thank it you. feel? Yeah. What have you done? Yeah. Anything cool? Aside from uh, that? I mean, my back feels fine, so I'm not getting that old. That's good. That Mine a, doesn't a... the last couple of days. So you got that look to look forward to. I mean, to as we've established, you are older than 31. I am. I am. I am 31. You are that much older, Sam. Not that much older than 31. Your back hurts older enough, older than 31. And, and I'm not. Um, a back pain guy but the last two days i don't know it's probably like a, it's like an alien and then it's gonna burst out and kill me i mean I am about life I, we are recording this right now so maybe if that's how how we take a jump in the ratings is true awesome. that is true we just we put this video out there like oh look at this look at this real life sigourney weaver movie that erupted on a minor league baseball podcast tune in uh, next week for uh, aliens and see what happens next so we welcome you in on this birthday edition of the show before the show podcast. He is Sam Dykstra. My name is Tyler Mullen, and uh, we got a lot to get to this week on the show. Uh, coming up in just a little while, we are excited to get a chance to catch up with Corbin Martin, the right-handed pitcher in the Arizona Diamondbacks organization, a former second-round selection of the Houston Astros out of Texas A&M. Guy who pitched in five big league games in 2019 and uh, making that climb back to the major leagues in 2021. Uh, we'll talk with Corbin Martin about uh, the start to this season and such. Uh, this uh, minor league opening day thing, it's coming up quick and we're getting excited. We don't have anything yet on the field to talk about with minor league opening day. So we've got a lot of stuff on the field with the major leagues and with prospects who are making a big impact early on. And we're going to talk about some of the guys who have been maybe the biggest surprises otherwise known this initial conversation point this week as the Akil Badu show, because Akil Badu has been unbelievably fun to watch in his first go round in the major leagues for the Detroit Tigers. Akil Badu rule five draft selection in December from the Minnesota twins, a guy who had never played above a ball in his career and that was just crushing major league pitching, throwing guys out on the base paths. Uh, his family, his parents were in attendance to watch not only a home run to the opposite field on his very first major league pitch that he saw, but also a home run the next day. Akil Badu has been the story, but there have been other prospects who have really made big impact so far early on. Sam, your main Mercedes uh, has been one of those guys. Zach McKinstry has been one of those guys for the White Sox and the Dodgers. Uh, give us the lowdown. Yeah, it's almost difficult to choose. Like, what is my favorite story? Because all these guys have kind of been surprises in their own right. I guess I'll start with Mercedes because he was technically the AL player of the week, not even rookie of the week, player of the week. 
uh, in his first week. But so far, as of recording this, 13 for 23 start. He's got a homer. He's got three doubles. Um, leading all ranked prospects with 19 total bases. The next closest is Jonathan India and Zach McKinstry uh, with 12 total bases. So he's almost lapping the field as far as that goes. Mercedes was somebody we always thought could hit. He could hit basically everywhere. I remember it must have been two years ago. It might have even been three years ago. There was somebody who was constantly in my mentions that just saying like, why aren't you talking about your mean Mercedes? He keeps doing well. Uh, you know, what, why isn't he ranked? Why isn't this going on? Yada, 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 yada. And it was just, we didn't know what his position would be. Uh, he kind of came up as a catcher. He's a little too big for that. He's listed at 5'11", 245. Um, the actions weren't great at, at catcher. Could he be a first baseman? Maybe, I guess, but uh, it always seemed like he was going to be a DH and this was in a system in which Zach Collins was already there. And then they an added Andrew Vaughn. I mean, how much oxygen was used this spring to say Andrew Vaughn is the White Sox best option uh, at DH. And then Mercedes comes in, you know, there's obviously the injury to Eloy Jimenez and that opens up left field and Vaughn gets some looks there, but Mercedes takes the DH position and just really runs with it. And then has been doing, I don't want to say what he's always been doing in the minor leagues because that's not wholly accurate because uh, he, he was never hitting 565 in the minors like this, but he was always a good hitter and he continues to be a good hitter. And this is, you know, looking back at the, the amount of teams he's played for, he was in the DSL with the nationals. He was in the Orioles system for a while. Then he moved over to the white Sox, and uh, you know, his last minor league club was the triple a Charlotte Knights in, in 2019, got 53 games with them hit 310 with a 386 OBP and 647 slugging percentage. I, I know that was with the, the funky triple a ball, but EOPS above a thousand had 17 homers, 53 games. Like he's, he's been a good hitter. We're just seeing it at the top level here for the first time. Really. I know he debuted last year and got a very, very brief look, but um, yeah, now age 28, maybe he's catching on. That's, that's what makes this super fun, even in a, a bubble. Um, but I, I think Akil Badu uh, has been one of my favorite players to watch to begin the year. Tyler, I know that's the case for you as well. Um, you know, over there in Detroit, a rule five pick coming across from Minnesota. Somebody we thought, you know, was fast, could maybe play multiple positions. Uh, his best tools were maybe on the defensive side, although his arm's not quite up to snuff. Uh, an okay hitter from the left side, but somebody who had Tommy John surgery as part of the profile. Uh, that's why his 2019 season ended early. And then obviously got 2020 wiped out with everybody else. Still only 22 entering the season, so there's some hope there. The Tigers aren't going to be contending. They can give him a shot. They did this with Victor Reyes a couple of years ago. Now he's taken the opportunity to run with it. Now, what happens when MLB pitchers have a little bit more to work off with him in, in terms of scouting reports and whatnot? You know, we don't know. We're, we're going to see that in the weeks to come, and the fact that he hasn't been starting every game is, I think, telling. But just look at his first four games, which as of recording, that's all we have to work off. Homer on the first pitch he sees. Grand slam in the second game, walk-off single in the 10th of the third game. Against his former team. Against his former team, a revenge game, as far as that goes. A rule five revenge game, nothing like it. And a game four, RBI triple. Uh, just, it, well, baseball is such a sport in which, you know, you want to think like you want to go one for three every day. You want to bat 333 for a season. But if you can just do like one thing to help your team win a game every day, you're going to stick around. And that's what rule five picks need to need to do. So Akil Badu certainly proving his case for Detroit, becoming very much a fan favorite, not only in the Motor City, but across baseball in general. We love to see that. And uh, Zach McKinstry as well with the Dodgers, 
starting out six for 15, Homer, three doubles. Again, he was their 15th ranked prospect coming into the season, uh, a decent hitter, but the Dodgers seem to always do this. We, we seem to think like, okay, this is the year where the, the well runs dry. Uh, things are, are going to back up. They're, they're not going to be able to just call somebody else up and, and plug them into a hole. And I still feel like that could be the year for that might be next year. They could bring up Josiah Gray. They could bring up Caber Ruiz. Um, Michael Bush and Cody Hazy are kind of that next level Diego Cartaya's years away. Uh, but it, it felt like we're going to get to a point where the Dodgers could conceivably have only one or maybe none top 100 prospects at the end of the 2021 season. And yet they still get player development wins like this. These guys know what they're doing. It's why they're World Series champs. Um, not just because they're able to trade for Mookie Betts and sign other players to be contracts. It's because they do these things in the margins. They get the Dustin Mays, the Tony Gonsolins, the guys who can eat innings uh, or win at bats consistently like this. So uh, one great thing about this, and, and Jazz Chisholm, I'll, I'll throw him out there as well, but I was going to say, we're not talking about the big top 100 prospects jumping out of the gate. Q. Brian Hayes kind of did that. Uh, but then suffered an injury that's going to put him in a, on the IL for a little while. We have been legitimately surprised by the way that some of these non-big names have jumped out and really taken the sport by fire. And, and that's great. And it's, it's kind of cool in this time when we don't have minor league baseball um, to, to watch these prospects and have them surprise us day in and day out to still see that at the top level, which is really cool. Um, so uh, we're only going to be more surprised as the season goes on. There's going to be call-ups. There's going to be, more guys jump, jumping the line. We kind of already had that uh, with Geraldo Perdomo uh, with the Arizona Diamondbacks. And, and that's what I live for in, in baseball. And that's what's the great thing about having the season back are these surprises. You can study the game all you want. You can look at all the scouting reports if you want. Things are still going to change. There are still so many unknowables. And, and now we're getting to see them uh, put on the field day in and day out. The uh, major league season getting underway did so with some top prospects on rosters, but of course, as the season goes along, we will see more and more of those. Sam, you got a chance to take a look at uh, the potential call updates for some of the top prospects in baseball. Um, give us a, a theory on where we might see or when we might see some of the next uh, future stars get their first call ups. Yeah. So when I, I don't want to go through this month by month, but the piece certainly does that. If you want to find it, it's, it's on it. MLB.com slash pipeline. Um, but what I did was I went month by month saying, like, here's who we can expect in April. Here's who we can expect in May, June, July, August, and September. Uh, it's going to get a little tricky this year because we still don't have the September roster expansion. So it's, it's tougher to say, like, oh, we could see a, a groundswell of prospects. So I do, I do want to just throw out a few names who, if you look at their MLB pipeline rankings, there are ETAs there, um, some of which it's very easy to say, like, this guy's going to be up in 2021. So the ones I want to highlight are guys who might be – we might have otherwise expected to see in 2022, but I, I think are still possibilities for this summer. Um, one of which Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, I'm going to throw him out there. I think I put him down for May or June, um, but I expect we, we talked about this last week on the preview pod. Uh, go back and listen to that for sure. Everybody had different opinions on that. I might be a little bit more aggressive with him, but I think the Royals are a little bit more aggressive with him. I think he comes up in, in May or June. Uh, given what he showed in the spring, given what he showed last year at the outside, I think he could force the issue there. I think Wander Franco, somebody who we do expect to have a 2021 debut date, but I think he could be up as early as May, really. Uh, he's getting in work at the outside right now. He posted a video the other day on his Instagram of him just going deep uh, from the left side, which is really special to see. 
not a huge surprise. It just feels like that power, that in-game power is the next thing we really need to see from him. We saw a little bit of it this spring. He hit a monster home run to right field uh, and a Grapefruit League game. The fact that he's continuing to do that at the alt site, uh, playing particularly Blue Jays players, which I think they're going to see a lot of for sure, uh, is certainly promising. And the Rays are, are in a deep division race, obviously. Um, today, they just got swept by the Red Sox, uh, who aren't even expected to be one of the big three contenders in the AL East. You got the, the Yankees, who are the, the favorites, and the Blue Jays, who spent big this offseason trying to get to that next level. Uh, so the Rays really can't afford to keep somebody like Wander Franco down too long. They might want to get him more at-bats. They might want to get him up to speed, learn a new position at third base. But I think come May, when you look at you have a guy with a potential 80-grade hit tool, why are we going to let him sit in Durham when he could be helping us out right now? I think it could be at third base that he's going to get that spot. I don't think he's going to necessarily displace Willie Adamas because of the roster situation, but keep an eye out for Wander Franco starting in May, I would say. Um, some of the second half uh, pr promotions that I think could be in line, uh, again, just looking at how things are projected to go at the major league level, I think the NL Central is going to be wide open and the Cardinals are going to need all the help they can get to fend off the Brewers or the Cubs maybe even. Um, not the Pirates, but we'll see how that division is going to shake out. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see the Arizona buddies, Matthew Ebertor and Nolan Gorman, both get called up as well. Gorman, a lot of eyes on him because he's a third baseman. Nolan Arenado, sorry, Tyler, was added to the Cardinals mix uh, this offseason. Where is he going to play? We don't know. He played a little bit of second base uh, this spring. Sounds like he, he'd be open to maybe move into a corner outfield spot as well. Uh, maybe by the second half, they say, hey, listen, we know you have a lot of power in the bat. That's going to help us fend off some of these other teams in the NL Central, and we're going to need that help. Matthew Libertor has a good left-handed arm, could help out in the bullpen, and especially if he's starting to bump up against an innings limit. You put him in the majors, you can hold down his innings, but his stuff is going to play at that level, I think, uh, come the second half. So that, those are some to watch out for. One other one I'll throw out real quick. Still in the Rays organization, Shane Boz has some of the best stuff uh, for the race. He might have their best fastball. It's up there between him and Luis Patino. And I think that fastball could play in the majors real, real fast. And we know the Rays like to get creative with their pitching. Uh, if the Rays are in a wild card race or even still in the AL East race, throwing him in that mix, like they kind of did last year with Shane McClanahan, which came in the postseason. Uh, but if they can use Boz out of the bullpen come August or September, I, I can't imagine uh, that Kevin Cash and company would overlook that chance. So Yes, there's going to, if, again, if you check out the piece, it, it's on MLB.com slash pipeline, but uh, there are going to be the faces we all expect, but as Perdomo proves, like guys are going to get here a lot quicker than we expect too, uh, and that's going to be a lot of fun, uh, and I can't wait to see those call-ups happen. The fact that one already happened over the weekend is a signal of, of more to come for sure. And speaking of more to come, uh, we got a lot of it on this week's episode of the show before the show podcast coming up in a little bit. We will catch up with our good buddy, Benjamin Hill, as we get closer and closer to minor league opening day. We're starting to get uh, those little seedlings of normalcy coming back up uh, through this long and brutal and uh, seemingly never ending, never ending winter between our last minor league season and our next one, which starts in just under a month. Uh, but before we get to that, Let's head to the Arizona Diamondbacks organization where we will find the seventh-ranked prospect in that system. Right-handed pitcher Corbin Martin joins the show next.
This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. We are excited this week to be joined by the seventh-ranked prospect in the Arizona Diamondbacks organization, right-handed pitcher Corbin Martin, who joins the show. Corbin, it's good to see you, man. What's going on? How are you? Good, man. How are you? Good. It's uh, it's great to have you on. It's something Sam and I were talking about uh, before we started recording. You're in a very Corbin-friendly organization. There's you. There is top prospect Corbin Carroll. There is former D-backs pitcher Patrick Corbin. How does the the Corbin support feel for you? How is it uh, in the D-back system? Well, I talked to Corbin Carroll all the time, telling that our parents are pretty smart. Um, <laughs> picked a good name for us. Uh, no, it's good. I don't know. Actually, I don't know of any other Corbin besides Corbin Carroll, so it's cool to play with him. It's very strange to, to have you guys both in the same system and both in the top seven in the same system, which is super cool. And um, this is your second organization, drafted by the Astros um, and and headed to the D-backs in the Zach Granke trade. And now uh, a full year and a full year of normalcy, I guess, somewhat normalcy uh, in the D-backs organization. But for you, coming back from Tommy John surgery, getting healthy toward the end of last year, um, and now back and on a mound and, and kind of ready to show this system and this organization what you can do. How are you feeling right now getting set for, you know, what? should be a, a really good comeback year. I feel good. It's now it's just all about putting the pieces together. Um, I think when I ramped up to hundred percent in spring training, things got a little bit out of whack. So, you know, I'm just trying to fine tune those stuff, be more consistent, but health wise, I feel great. And it's nice to feel, feel a, a healthy arm and get out there and pitch, you know, every five days. So that's, that's been a, a good time and something that uh, I'm excited to get back to. Gordon, one thing that stands out about uh, your transition to the D-backs organization is they've wanted you for a while. And I know that's kind of the lead into your bio at MLB Pipeline is D-backs thought about trying to get you in a Paul Goldschmidt trade. They end up getting you last year. They got you after or a couple of years after the Zach Granke trade or after your Tommy John surgery goes down that trade um, and to acquire you while you're on the mend from something. And to know, you know, coming into an organization that they've wanted you in the past, what did that mean to land with uh, a group of people that have been so excited about you and now have you as part of their organization? Oh, it definitely means a lot. I mean, the first thing that Hazen told me is that he had been trying to trade for me a couple of times. Um, so it goes to show that I'm, I'm wanted here, which is a, it's always it's always a good feeling, you know, when you hear stuff like that. Uh, it's been great. You know, it, it took a little bit to adjust over here, just being in a different organization, um, run a little bit differently. But no, we've settled in and uh, I've really enjoyed my time so far. In those first couple of days after you came over in the trade, you couldn't show off like right away, obviously coming off Tommy John surgery. So what was the transition like? Like what how did you get to introduce yourself? Because you couldn't do that, obviously, as a pitcher quite yet. 
Uh, a lot of time in the rehab uh, room. So uh, I got to know all the trainers pretty well and they, they took really good care of me. They do a really good job in this system with uh, rehab and recovering. Um, they had a really good plan set for me and I was, was pretty confident going into the field every day, knowing that I was doing the right things and they were going to take good care of me. So uh, I just wanted to prove that I was willing to show up every day and work hard, you know, just to get back and um, get back to the pitcher I was before the injury. So it's been a, a definitely a long road and a long, weird two years, I would say, since the trade, you know, with COVID and everything and kind of getting pushed back a couple months with the COVID and having to get sent home. But uh, I think everything is uh, working out the way I've expected it to. Yeah, and that, that leads well into my next question, because we've talked to a lot of guys about how they got through the pandemic last year, what they were doing the first couple of months, maybe throwing at a high school field or, you know, hitting into a cage in their backyard. You're trying to rehab from Tommy John. Like what, what was your process of going through that through last April and May and June when you didn't necessarily have access to the facility? Yeah, I got with a guy in Houston, uh, went a couple times a week just to get my arm, you know, worked on and then just continuously went to work out at the place I work out in the off season. Um, doing my arm care there and started doing my throwing then too, uh, which was, it was weird because I knew that the Diamondbacks wanted me to be in Arizona doing that, but we had really no other options. So uh, it was a weird start, but I definitely um, was able to do the things that I luckily do the things that I was able to do with, you know, rehab wise and only get pushed back a little bit instead of, you know, missing a full three months and having to be quarantined for those full three months. Um, it was, it was odd for sure. And in my head, I kept thinking like, Oh, this is just another, another thing that's going to happen to my baseball career, you know, with rehab and getting pushed back and just always expecting that everything was going to go smoothly. And that's the last thing I thought was going to happen. And so at what point, or do you remember there being like one specific moment in which you felt, like fully back either last year at the alt site sometime in instructs like when did it feel like okay I, i'm all of that has passed me rehabs behind me pandemics past you know passed me in some way um what was your welcome back moment really i think for me it was the first game i pitched in spring training you know just getting back in that atmosphere i had pitched to the same it felt like five guys in the alt site last year so as much as it was fun getting back on the mound i think getting back to the 100 percent in spring training um, even though it wasn't all smooth, I just it was nice to get back out there in front of fans and being in game like situations, you know, feeling 100 percent back on the mound. And uh, I, I would I would say for me, that was like the biggest um, achievement so far in my rehab, you know, getting back on the field. Corbin, one of the things that uh, guys who have Tommy John surgery talk about so much is especially in those initial weeks and months, the mental hurdle of figuring out how you're going to do it again. I know we've, we've talked with a handful of guys about this, but I feel like we actually haven't had this conversation with a prospect in a while, but you know, from guys who I've talked to who have had Tommy John surgery, you wake up the next day and your elbow is the size of like a cantaloupe and you can't grip anything. You're in a brace and then you're in a sling and then you're in, you know, all these different things from the, the mental side of it, it happens right around 4th of July for you wipes out the second half of 2019, 2020, we go into a global pandemic. Like how did you keep yourself mentally afloat? Um, especially over those first few months and then being hit with this second wave of things of, Oh yeah. And now all of a sudden we don't have a, a normal baseball season last year. I think for me, like, uh, like you hit it on the head, it's pretty mentally taxing, you know, showing up every day and not being able to do 
everyday baseball activities and you're watching guys go out there, throw, you know, play games. And at first it was, it was kind of tough, you know, I haven't gone through anything like this. And uh, I think what helped me is just communicating with other Tommy John guys, you know, who went through the same thing, um, asking them pretty much picking their brains on like what helped them. I think for me, it was showing up to the field, knowing I was one day closer to getting back is kind of the mindset that I took. Uh, and then last August, I ended up spraining my oblique a little bit and that sent me back. And then that was, I felt like as much as it sucked that that happened, it got my mind off of the elbow. You know, I was able to, you know, not have to focus every day on how my elbow felt. It was more of like an oblique rehab. And I think that was kind of a, a good step in getting my mind off of uh, how the elbow felt. And ever since then, you know, I go out there and throw and don't think about it. So that's been a help. What was the, um, you know, the discussion so much about returning from Tommy John is rediscovering that feel and how uh, to, to throw your pitches now and kind of training your body again with how to do it. How long did that take from when you kind of started getting back on the mound to when you felt comfortable with, okay, I think I can do this stuff again. I think I can manipulate my pitches the way I want to. I can put them where I want to. Like, how long did that process take? Uh, I, I feel like I'm still kind of going through it. You know, it, pitching is such an art that you feel like you can go consistently do it. And uh, when you take so much time off and focus on, you know, the rehab part of things, you kind of lose track of like what you're doing day to day to get that feel back. Um, I would say the last couple of outings in that alt side, I've, I've slowly been able to you know, repeat mechanically and get to that hundred percent and trust the stuff instead of like babying it over and not worrying about um, what the arm was going to feel like if I turned over a change up or if I threw a curveball or something like that. So I feel like I'm slowly getting to where I can go out there and repeat every pitch. And that, I think for me, that's been the toughest part is you try to tell yourself like, Oh, it's not, there's no feel lack of feel and stuff like that when it's, it was kind of a new thing going out there and being a hundred percent and trying to repeat. And it got frustrating to a point where I was like, okay, this isn't, this is getting overwhelming where it was just something that everyone had told me as part of it. And I just wanted to be hard headed about it and say, no, no, I can get through it in one outing. It's going to take one outing when over time it's that's, I think for me, that's going to be the key is just going out there and having an outing where I don't even think about it and just, can repeat the mechanics and be clean with everything. Um, not be as erratic as that's, that was my problem in spring training to where I was getting, I'd have one good batter and the next batter I'd lose track of like what was going on. And then I walk them on four pitches and I'm getting frustrated instead of, you know, going out there and attacking hitters. So I feel like I'm getting close to that and getting that feeling back to where I was in 2019. So it's, uh, it's, it's uh, hard and overwhelming, but it's definitely part of it. Yeah, and you mentioned <clears throat> playing in, in spring training. Um, last time we saw you, you were I think you were throwing two and a third innings uh, on March 15th, last Cactus League game we got to see you in. Where do you built up to now? Uh, I threw five yesterday, so I'm up to five okay. innings now. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm definitely able to throw more than that, but I feel like they're doing a good job of not trying to rush me back into things, um, just knowing that, I still have stuff to work on. So I think we're on the same page of development and just taking care of the arm at the same time. As much as I would like to be pitching in the big leagues again, um, 
which has been my mindset since I had the surgery. I just know that um, when the time is right, it'll come. So I just got to wake up every day, go to the field, take care of what I need to take care of. And kind of the same mindset I had in rehab is I'm one day closer to getting back. And what do you feel like is the strongest aspect of your game now as you're working deeper and finding out more about yourself? Like what feels the most back right now? Uh, for some reason, my changeup has been, you know, the, the best pitch for me so far. Just like when I'm getting erratic with the, the heater, I, I just throw a couple of changeups and I feel like that gets me back into the mechanics. I don't know what it is, but uh, over the last two years, I feel like game-wise and the knowledge of the game has grown, you know, studying like what helps. And because when I first got called up, I just went out there and was throwing, you know, not really studying hitters and doing that kind of stuff. So that's one thing the last two years I've been really doing is understanding like what works for me. And because um, if I get the, the fastball locations locked in, I think everything works off of that. And speaking of your off-speed stuff, um, one of the things for you coming up was the development of your slider versus your curveball. Where do those kind of stand right now? What, do you feel like one is stronger? Like how, how do you differentiate your breaking stuff? How is that stuff coming along? Yeah, I had a problem with my slider curveball kind of mixing to where it ended up being the same pitch. And so my uh, problem was I was kind of getting in the same hand position and I wanted to be able to have a difference in the two pitches. So I kind of just went into almost a cuttery slider to where sometimes it's a slider, but I'm trying to control it as a cutter. And I feel like that's helped me, you know, have the curveball difference and then having to cut or work off of that. So I like where it's at right now. Um, sometimes I have problems with the curveball, you know, just trying to think about throwing the throwing it as hard as I can instead of babying it up there. So I think that's that's one thing that I need to be more consistent of. And I, I talk to a lot of guys about it, just seeing what they see hitter-wise, you know, the catchers, pitching coaches, just trying to get a feel for it and being more consistent with it. So I can have that fourth pitch. Cause I feel like that definitely helps. Corbin coming out of college. Um, when you are a guy who's pitched it at such a high level in college, pitching in the sec, pitching in a program like Texas A&M, you go in the second round of the draft. Um, now, obviously you're in your second organization. So this, this uh, conversation may change a little bit, but what were the things that you were kind of told either by the Astros or now with the D backs are sort of um, the, the finishing elements to make you into a regular major league guy. I feel like you were already so polished coming out of school. The road is a little bit different from had you been, you know, 17, 18 coming out of high school. Um, what were the things that were kind of communicated to you? And has there been anything in pro ball that sort of caught you off guard as like, okay, I'm glad that I've learned that now. And maybe I wouldn't have anticipated that coming in. Yeah. I would say that um, in college you can get away with just um, throwing all over the place. You know, if you're, if you have like a conviction in the pitch, I felt like it was a lot different when you got to the minor leagues. Like I had that, that knack of wanting to nibble with two strikes instead of throwing a pitch with conviction. And um, I had trouble with it over time, like trying to be too perfect, I would say in a non-perfect sport. And so that's the one thing too, right now that I'm working on is just having the conviction of pretty much throwing through through the middle of the strike zone, trusting everything off of that, instead of trying to throw a fastball away and nibbling and with the strike zone and the MLB, they do a really good job of not missing pitches most of the time. So I think from, from moving from college to pro ball now into the big leagues, hitters do such a good job of 
being picky, like going up to an at-bat and understanding the strike zone, what they're looking for. So I feel like when I'm throwing through the zone with this stuff, it, it gives a better um, outlook to me of like what the hitter's reacting to instead of trying to throw a fastball away or fastball in and missing. Now you're behind 1-0, 2-0. And that's not a good position to be in in the big leagues for sure. So I think for me, it's more so just attacking um, with – with uh, with a want to, you know, with every pitch. So I'm, that's definitely something that I'm trying to be more consistent in and um, be able to repeat. Cause if you watch Zach Gallen pitch, that's what he does so well. Um, he never is really behind in the count. And when he's ahead, he definitely puts guys away. So I have uh, been learning a lot from him, just his mentality, what he works on. And uh, we're getting there. We're close. You're in an organization now, which is, Really, I think kind of under the radar building something good there between the major league talent that you guys have, the prospects that are on the way. Um, like every headline over the offseason in Major League Baseball was about the National League West, but it was about the Dodgers and the Padres. Um, you right. know, the Giants have cashed in. They brought in some prospects. The D-backs are kind of building things a little bit more quietly, and I think that's probably a good thing right now. What is the culture like in that organization, knowing that the the loudest voices may not be talking about you in the same way they're talking about Los Angeles and San Diego, but you guys are really confident in what you've got going down there. Yeah, you can really tell in spring training, the guys love being what, what they would call the underdog, you know, just something that it's not really talked about. And you look around the clubhouse, you're like, we have good players all over the place, you know? And now it's about putting all the pieces together, going out there and winning games, which they definitely have that that knack. You know, we have a bunch of guys that have a lot of experience and then a bunch of young guys with talent. So I feel like we're definitely headed in the right direction. And Lavello always preached to us in spring training about that. It was like, hey, man, just keep your head down and go play the game. We've been playing our whole lives. And I feel like once we get everything pieced together, it's going to we're going to surprise a lot of people. And uh just to end the, on a few here, Corbin, we talked a little bit off mic beforehand about how you're now back at the alt site. And alt site is not something we really wanted to use, a term we wanted to use again in 2021, but it's one we're using again. How does this experience compare, you know, going through that this time to what you guys were doing last August, September, even July? Yeah, it's a little different because we actually get to play um, a couple different teams. So it's nice to go out there and have a uh, different, line up every day you go out and pitch instead of facing the same five or six guys it gets uh it get, gets hard to lock in last year you know when you're when you face the same guys so many times you're like okay I know how to get this guy out and if I do this do that so you go out there and we're, we've been playing the Angels and Rockies and so they have a lot of talent too so I think it's it's helping us prepare a little bit better than last year, um, especially when you have a bunch of guys who are close to the big leagues, if not up and down, you know. So that's been a definitely a big help compared to last year is coming in with a mindset of like, okay, we have some competition today. Cool. And uh, the last one for me and then Tyler has one more, but uh, going through your Twitter account just before this, I saw that your family, you, you guys welcomed a, a child back in the, the fall um you've already made your major league debut right like you, you've already been at that level so we're not going to ask you what's it going to be like to get back there but now having a kid who's going to technically see you on a major league mound someday how much more does that mean now that your family's expanding in that way oh it's great and it's he's awesome man he uh he loves sports we put it on the tv and he just sits there and watches it all day it doesn't matter what it is so um 
luckily my wife's been able to bring him to the games at the field when we pitch in the alt side. And, and uh, it, it's cool after the game, being able to see him, you know, be able to watch baseball and um, just have someone else to pretty much share it with. Um, it was cool. It, he definitely helped a lot too in the rehab process, get my mind off things, you know, being able to come home and take care of him and, He's growing fast too. I blink every time, every day, and he's doing something different. So we try to pay attention to that and make sure he's not learning too much from me and more from my wife. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Corbin, last one for you. We're going to end on a fun one. Uh, college athlete headshots are always, sometimes they do with guys in the jerseys. Sometimes you got a polo on, sometimes you got a suit and tie. In your Texas A&M headshot that is still up on 12thman.com, you've got uh, like a tan jacket and a bow tie. And I just want to know, are you that fashionable all the time? Do you know how to tie the bow tie? Or was that like somebody told you, all right, you have to, you got to wear this. You got to go bow tie for this headshot. I'm probably the least fashionable person on a man. I have. Sure is misleading then. The least, the least amount of swag there is, I think. I mean, I show up to the field in shorts and a Carhartt short shirt every day. And it's like. You got the Carhartt okay. shirt on right now. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's pretty much all I wear. And my wife was always like, you really need help because she definitely is the one that's dressing our son because it's, he definitely dresses better than me. When I was in college, like for that headshot, I just had, I had that jacket and someone was like, hey, put this tie on. And I was like, can you put it on for me? I have no idea what I'm doing. And it was a clip on. And so, um, yeah, there's definitely no, no, uh, I wouldn't say want to, but just no tendency to get up and get dressed as nice as possible to go to the field. Um, I feel like I definitely need help in that category, maybe like an assistant or something. Cause my wife gives me a hard time every day I leave for the field. Cause she's like, you look homeless. You and so career and not needing to be dressed up when you go to work, at least. I know. Um, <laughs> hopefully I can figure it out by the time I have to start getting dressed nice again, but, uh, until then it's Carhartt shirts and shorts. <laughs> and the last year plus has not been good for any of us. I'm like, well, I guess I should put on real clothes. It has not been, uh, an easy 14 months in that regard, but, uh, you could have fooled anybody with a Texas A&M headshot. It's very impressive. I've never worn a bow tie. I think it involves a cool level of swag. And I was quite <laughs> impressed by it. Corbin Martin, well, I'm glad seven. I can pull it off. <laughs> <laughs> number seven prospect in the D-backs organization uh, right now, biding time and waiting on uh, on a major league uh, return in 2021 and uh, hanging out at the all site. And congrats, man, on uh, on getting back out there. And we can't wait to see you on a big league mound. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you down the road, I'm sure. Thanks so much for the time. I appreciate it, guys. Y'all have a good one. I think we're officially inside of a month for the first time recording this podcast until the start of the minor league baseball season. And weirdly enough, it's the first time that we can really say that and feel definitively like it's going to happen in over two years as we welcome Benjamin Hill into the show. Hey, Ben. Hey, Tyler. Um, hey, Sam. Um, yeah, you know, you know, it's a funny thing is that in you know, on March, let's say March 10th of 2020, we would have definitively said that, that we were a month away from the minor league baseball season. But sometimes even when you definitively say something, it turns out to be definitively wrong. Uh, unbeknownst to us at the time and unbeknownst to the world at the time. But now we will speak just as definitively and know we are correct. It's going to start this time. Our faith and sanity demands it. 
Sanity. Remember Sanity? I think we're getting there. I think we're getting back to some of it. Um, but uh, yeah, we're, we're closing in. And uh, the new look minor league structure in 2021 with uh, some reorganized levels and leagues and all of it. Ben's been doing a great job uh, on the sites, getting you all set for the 2021 campaign, running through the leagues and levels. Um, we discussed AAA and uh, kind of some of the the new additions and the in the movements and all of that. But we've actually had a couple of those stories run since the last time we got a chance uh, to talk with you, Ben. Give us the the lowdown on the uh, fun facts throughout the upper levels so far of the minor leagues. Yeah, finally got a, a real schedule and a real system. A lot of these running uh, two a week right now, and uh, they've been coming out fast and furious. Uh, as we mentioned before, you know, a lot of my stuff and a lot of our stuff is running on MLB Pipeline right now so that's an opportunity to uh kind of introduce the material to a new audience and to uh i'm using these articles to introduce people to the new landscape in a general generalized and hopefully fun way so we had triple a west fun facts come out last friday and then this past monday double a central which is essentially uh what the texas league became and today double a northeast which is essentially what the uh, eastern league became and uh, I do think a lot of these facts are fun, for real. I've been uh, highlighting a lot of, the, of uh, really good ones in these stories, um, trying to find new ones um, that, that even were new to me through my research. Um, one I want to point out uh, in the AA Northeast, that story came out today. Um, of course, one of the new teams in that league or in all of minor league baseball is the Somerset Patriots, who are now the AA affiliate of the New York Yankees. And, uh, you know, they're one of three teams who are brand new to the affiliated landscape. And I was thinking like, well, what's a fun fact for Somerset Patriots? And uh, the one I settled on was that their broadcaster had one of the most viral moments in recent broadcasting history. It happened in 2019. You guys probably remember this. Uh, Mark Schwartz, Somerset Patriots broadcaster, he was calling a game in 2019 and a foul ball was hit that went right back to the booth and he caught the ball and said, boy, am I impressive, as he called his own catch of a foul ball in a giddy fashion. And I thought, you know, that's going to be my Somerset Patriots fun fact. Um, That was a great moment, and now the Patriots are officially in minor league baseball. And, you know, I went ahead and called Mark Schwartz the top fielding broadcaster in all of minor league baseball because I'm not sure of anyone else who's narrated his own catch of a foul ball, or at least not in so memorable a fashion. I don't know, Tyler, in your broadcasting days, and you're still broadcasting, um, you know, in your minor league broadcasting days or, or even now as you uh, travel the globe broadcasting or at least will <laughs> do so again, uh, have you ever had, ever had any, uh, you know, top fielding plays or moments when uh, you really were able to insert yourself into the action in, a, in an organic way? I've never been able to catch a foul ball. I have had foul balls come back into the booth. Um, the the scary thing is when I was in the Carolina League uh, in, in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, the only way that a foul ball could enter the booth, it had to be coming over the screen at like a pretty high rate of speed because it had to catch an angle that would propel it up over the screen, but keep it on a level enough trajectory to come right into the booth. So they were like coming in hot when they came into the booth, um, which is just my way of trying to explain away that I ducked out of the way, terrified of several foul balls. Uh, I have not, I have not got one ever. Um, but I, I don't think uh, internationally, I don't think that I've ever gotten a chance to, to try to make a play on one. Mostly. I just, I just get out of the way frighteningly. And now doing basketball, I, 
thankfully have never been like bowled over by a dude like trying to save a ball inbounds but i did uh have a guy fly over my table last year trying to save a ball inbounds it's not the same as catching a foul ball but nearly losing uh you know like a limb or having my head taken off um so it's yeah man i mean it can be it can be real dangerous work all that to say no i haven't (laughs) (laughs) i just like the idea that you're are like already saying like, listen, the ball had to be coming at an exit below of 110 <laughs> miles an hour. That's why. I so everybody but, knows. Uh, here's the thing, but honestly, and it's, it's funny. You bring up the, the Somerset clip. Still my favorite clip outside of that one is uh, my old broadcast partner and still one of my best friends, Mike Passanisi uh, with the Altoona curve, then the, uh, the double A Eastern league affiliate of the Pittsburgh pirates, still the double A affiliate of the pirates, but Mike, and there were people who thought this was staged, but Mike, I think it was the summer after I left Altoona. So it would have been like 2013. There was a foul ball that landed right in a cup holder, right underneath the broadcast booth. And Mike called it perfectly. And, uh, but I still remember like people, that video was posted and everybody immediately was like, there's no way that's real, but it was. So that's, that's still one of my other favorites. Yeah. Sometimes you can just be too good at your job. You're too professional and people just don't even believe you could be that good. Exactly. I never. That's what we say at every at the end of every segment, right? I never have that problem, but a lot of people do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Ben, just moving on to the the other list here, real quick of fun facts. You have the ten AA Central teams, which used to be the Texas League. uh, For everybody at home, when you think Central, now you get to think uh, Texas. But like the what I like about that name change, just as an aside, is that there are teams from Arkansas here, there are teams from Kansas, there are teams who weren't going to be in Texas. So this is a little bit more inclusive, but one team I want to point out real quick is the Wichita wind surge who originally were going to be a triple a club. Now they're a double a club. They're a Minnesota twins affiliate, but you kind of point out here how the wind surge have really gone through this kind of circular motion here and, and finding themselves back uh, as part of affiliated. Ball. You might even say a whirlwind. A yeah. Whirlwind. Well, yeah, it's sure. funny. <laughs> you might say a whirlwind. You're right. I would say a whirlwind. Um, the Wichita Wind Surge, who, you know, 2020 was so bizarre. They were supposed to debut in 2020. They were supposed to be a AAA Pacific Coast League team, Pacific Coast League team in 2020. And in 2020, they were supposed to be a Marlins affiliate. And that season never happened, and they never played in that league at that level with the, with the Marlins as an affiliate. In 2021, they're still waiting for, to make their debut, but now they are a AA, AA Central Minnesota Twins affiliate. But nonetheless, if you look at this franchise, the Wichita Wind Surge, and trace it back to their beginning, it was hard for me to pinpoint the exact date around the turn of the century because baseball was real sporadic back then. Um, But there was a team in Kansas City, Missouri, that began in, let's say, the late 1890s, early 20th century, really got going in every season by 1905, 1906, 1907. That team eventually played in the American Association, which was a... uh, became a triple a league all the way through 1954 in kansas city missouri then it went on to denver from 1955 to 1992 tyler was familiar with with that franchise that would be the denver bears slash zephyrs then from denver they went to new orleans where they became the new orleans zephyrs slash baby cakes and then they went back to wichita to become the wind surge all the way back to very close to where they started in Kansas City, Missouri, in who knows what year, but over 100 years ago, that franchise has, in a sense, returned to its roots. But how many people would make that connection? Because a lot has happened since that time. And uh, it's not a natural thing. You know, only weirdos like ourselves 
would think to trace an organization from Kansas City, Missouri to Denver to New Orleans, and then finally back to the Midwest to Wichita. But baseball's back in Wichita in 2021. Uh, new ballpark. First time there's been any minor league baseball in Wichita since the uh, Wichita Wranglers, who played their last season in the, in the Texas League in 2007. And the new ballpark in Wichita is at the exact same space uh, place, the old ballpark Lawrence Dumont was located. So uh, keeping that history alive in that way as well, at least in terms of the site and where exactly the baseball is being played. Um, another one I will mention briefly from the AA Central, and then we can move on because I have so many fun facts. I could talk forever, but we've probably mentioned the uh, mascot for the Arkansas Travelers before. There's several mascots, but one is kind of a cult favorite, Odie, O-T-E-Y, a uh, possum, a swamp possum. He's kind of a backwoods weirdo possum, you know, a little, you know, Twitter used to call him quote unquote nightmare fuel, but you know, he's also really popular because he's such a weird mascot. I did not know this, but in trying to find a, a very fun fact for the Arkansas travelers and they've been around a long time and have lots of fun facts. I learned that Odie is named after a guy who played for the Arkansas travelers from 1949 through 1958, then retired. This is RC Odie, O-T-E-Y. He played for the travelers for almost a decade through 1958 then retired and spent the next 30 years as the groundskeeper at the Travelers Ballpark, Ray Winder Field. So he uh, worked all the way through 1988, did R.C. Odie as the Arkansas Travelers groundkeeper, groundskeeper. And then approximately a little less than 30 years later, Odie the Swamp Possum emerges, and he is a direct homage to R.C. Odie, the erstwhile Arkansas Traveler infielder slash longtime groundskeeper. And that's the kind of history I don't want to say you can't get it anywhere else. You can get it elsewhere, but I would like to think I'm one of your more accessible sources for it. So thank you very much. That is pretty cool. And uh, I'm sure there is somebody in, in Kansas or Missouri who uh, loves that, that cyclical return of that franchise to near its ancestral homeland with the, uh, the Wichita wind surge opening play in 2021. I wonder how RC Odie would feel about it being a swamp possum. They're like, well, I we named this weird thing after you. I'd like to know. I mean, his name lives on and we're still saying the word Odie. Right. And the name Odie. That's cool. uh, because of this swamp possum but wouldn't it be weird to die i mean it'd be weird to die and then come back and learn things that happen after your death <laughs> but i think a particularly weird thing to learn after dying would be that your name is lived on in the form of a bipedal marsupial who's a mascot for the minor league baseball team you once lived for north america's for, only marsupial worked for yeah by the way exactly i learned that about possums recently <laughs> uh... <laughs> I don't know why. Um, ben, it is a, a return to normalcy somewhat when we finally get a chance to talk about promos with you. The business of minor league baseball is built so much around what are we doing on this night at the ballpark? What are fans going to come to the ballpark for? What are we uh, building this evening around in addition to the game of baseball? Uh, promo schedules have started to arrive and we are getting set for opening day coming up next month across the minor leagues. Um, and I know there are already some notable ones that stand out to you. Omaha, Lehigh Valley, give us some of the, the early highlights of the 2021 promo schedules. Yeah, they're trickling in and you know I'm really looking for the totally weird ones and we haven't been seeing those because as we've mentioned many times on this podcast, uh, a lot of uncertainty going into this season. And so I think the promotional schedules on the whole are A, 2020 holdovers and B, a little more conservative until teams really know what they're getting into. But it has been very nice to see these promo schedules uh, trickle in. Uh, a couple have caught my interest uh, in the early going. May 19th, the Akron Rubber Ducks. Um, we've seen various um, deaf and hard of hearing appreciation um, nights related to um, the deaf community. Uh, in particular, it started in Myrtle Beach where they had sign language jerseys. 
uh, the Akron Rubberback, Rubber Ducks are doing a promotion called Silent Night. And to show support for the deaf community, they're playing the first five innings of the game totally silent as regards ballpark noise. Um, just keeping all noise to an absolute minimum for five innings. That's and cool. so I'm not exactly sure yet how that will tie into the larger promo in support of the deaf community, but an interesting idea to uh, actively minimize all noise at the ballpark for five innings until the game becomes official. So that's uh, a creative one that caught my eye. Uh, Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, of course, always do a lot of stuff. You know, hey, we're all trying to get back into midseason form. And so, you know, they're bringing back a lot of their favorites, including the uh, Pennsylvania Dutch style donuts that we can never pronounce correctly, or at least I cannot. But they will be once again suiting up as the Fastnots, 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 Fastnots. <laughs> I, I could have looked it up, but I, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to mispronounce it so I could once again uh, get emails or direct messages on Twitter with people telling me how to do it right. F A S T N A C H T S, and it's time for us to all once again remember these regional food specialties that are, uh, you know, minor league team name alternate identities, such as in Omaha, who are bringing back the Runzas, the R U N Z A, the Runzas. And Tyler, if this was a video podcast, you would see Tyler turning around and pointing to his Runza cap. Oh, you can't see it. Now you can see it. There it is. Starting to point on the. There it is. The Omaha yeah. Runza. That's a Runza with cheese, by the way. I always go with cheese. My dad goes with the Swiss Swiss mushroom Runza. I go with the the Runza with cheese. Sam just made a, a face that is not pro Swiss cheese and mushroom Runza. No, I. Oh, I thought it was a Swiss mushroom, which I have never heard of before in my life. <laughs> they import delicate mushrooms from Switzerland yeah, like, directly from these gas station. <laughs> delicacies there's a such thing as a swiss mushroom room. no thank you i respect your dad and his choices but no thank you on the swiss mushroom. i feel like the i feel like the storm chasers need to throw in like a some sort of frings uh element to this runs and i runs of cells you can get fries and on, or onion rings or you can get them together as frings there should be some kind of component added to this throw that out there omaha if you're tuned in it's my they're mind. tuned in omaha the entirety of omaha my listens to every episode the, of this whole, podcast. the whole city is tuned in they they love it. So um, long story short, things are trickling in. As I said, a lot of uh, things we're pretty familiar with, but it's great to see them on the schedule. You know, the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers bringing back Utter Tuggers weekend, their salute to cows. Utter Tuggers being one of the more ridiculous rebrands. It was good to see that on the calendar, including as part of Utter Tuggers weekend, which I believe is a four-day four affair. I almost said four-dairy affair, which actually would have been a pun that I wasn't even trying to make. But, it but it's part of Utter Tuggers weekend. Uh, they're giving away a stress cow giveaway. And I always like when minor league baseball gives me an opportunity to say a word combination that I'd never said before. <laughs> stress cow giveaway, Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, Appleton, Wisconsin, June 5th. Be there or be somewhere else where you're definitely not getting a stress cow. Benjamin Hill is on Twitter at Ben's Biz. And uh, you can find his stuff at MLBpipeline.com as well at MILB.com and, uh, and everywhere else where we will soon finally be back into the realm where Ben writes a story about an awesome promo and it gets picked up far and wide across the baseball globe. And I can't wait because, oh man, that means it'll feel like it's, uh, it's finally minor league baseball season again. And we're getting so close. And uh, it's just like, it's so, I get so giddy now getting a chance to talk about these real things with less than a month to go, Ben. Yeah, it's great talking to you guys. I feel like we're getting our mojo back. A new era is coming. Let's go. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, guys.
final segment of this week's episode of the show before the show before we get out of here uh it is time for a return to the award contending segment known as better known affiliate structure what, American what award are we contending for here you know i'm assuming there's something it's the the the, the potties the podcasties the casties the, the casties not the potties the, not the potties of- <laughs> Squatty potties, but P O D D I E S. Squatty, like you're like and squatty with two D's as well. Right, exactly. A podcast, alternate training site squad, the taxi squad, squatty pod. I'm sorry, sorry to all of you who have to listen to me (laughs) uh, week in and week out. We have uh, reached the end of the the senior circuit. We head to the junior circuit next. Um, We've reached the end of the senior circuit with this episode. Next episode. We head to the junior circuit. Uh, do you guys know why that that terminology exists? The National League was founded before the American League, and therefore, when the American League became a thing, uh, they started calling the uh, the National League the senior circuit, the American League uh, the junior circuit. So, the National League East is where we find ourselves this week. Uh, Sam and I have gone kind of team by team through each division, alternating and giving you the uh, the breakdown of where these squads will find their minor league families now in 2021. And Sam, I'm going to have you kick this one off. Atlanta alphabetically leads off the National League East. Have at it. I, I secretly think this is because a long-running joke on this podcast is that I worked for Samuel the Atlanta Braves. Samuel P. Dykstra at Braves.com. <laughs> yeah, I, I do not, nor have I ever. I want to make that clear once again here. <laughs> That's but, like a five-year-old joke now. Uh, it really is. It's, it's been a while. Sam had us do – well, we all did um, our minor league organizational system rankings and various things of, you know, under-21 talent and the best hitting uh, systems in baseball and the best pitching systems in baseball. And when the Chicago White Sox had their just glut of arms coming up with with Lucas Giolito and Dane Dunning and Dylan Cease and uh, Ronaldo Lopez and all those guys who were coming up, I decided, you know what, we're going to have some fun with this and putting the White Sox over Atlanta. Uh, in this conversation, Atlanta obviously had its great core on the way, which has uh, largely arrived at the major league level. And I, I woke up excited to look at my new piece on MILB.com. And I look there and Sam had swapped my one and two. Sam put Atlanta over the White Sox. And uh, from then on, he was he was known as Samuel P. Dykstra uh, at, at, uh, at Braves.com. Neither his say, name nor his employer. No, no, not at all. I will say, I remember we had Jim Callis, who's now basically yes. our co-worker on the podcast shortly after that to talk about the MLB pipeline top 100. And you threw that question to him as like, Hey Jim, what do you think? And he, he vindicated me. He did. He did. So I was not alone in this, for he did. but anyways, and I don't think um, it was even like, well, you could make an argument for either. It was like, no, nah, it's definitely Atlanta. And I was like, <laughs> Come on, Jim. Well, you know, history has, has looked he's, good on you, Tyler. He's I will the say smart one. Well, ah. yeah. Lucas Giolito being a legit Cy Young candidate. This yeah. Year. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so the Atlanta Braves, the Atlanta Braves, uh, their affiliate structure this year looks somewhat similar, but it, this is actually one of those perfect ones in which everything really is consolidated very well. We started at the AAA level with the Gwinnett Stripers sticking around, uh, AA Mississippi Braves, again, another team that will still be in the mix here. The Rome Braves, formerly the Class A affiliate, get bumped up to high A now. Uh, they're in Rome, Georgia, and then they include, it's not officially a Georgia affiliate. I, I want to make this clear, but the Augusta Green Jackets are the new low A club. They technically play in North Augusta, South Carolina, uh, but that's right over the border there. So you have everybody uh, is within 400 miles and you have 
three out of the four within 175 miles of Truist Park, uh, which is huge in, in consolidating this and making sure that guys aren't going too far when they do, do get called up. So this is kind of a little bit of the gold standard, really, of, of what minor league systems were trying to go for as they consolidate travel here for 2021 and beyond. Uh, Tyler, moving on to you with the Miami Marlins. The Miami Marlins, named after a fish and with three aquatic-themed minor league affiliates among their four. The Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp at the AAA level. Uh, Jacksonville, just 345 miles to Marlins Park. The Pensacola Blue Wahoos, a fish, AA in the uh, the Marlins system. The Beloit Snappers, who will move into a new ballpark in Wisconsin this year. Turtle, water, I wouldn't really call it aquatic. They're in Wisconsin. I know there's water. There's more lakes in Wisconsin than there are in Minnesota. I know. But I'm just saying, like, in terms of coastal fish and, uh, and aquatic creatures, three out of the four really fit the bill for the Marlins. The Jupiter Hammerheads are number four in that group, the low A affiliate of the Marlins, a team headquartered at the Marlins uh, Spring Training Facility in Jupiter, Florida, just 82 miles away from Miami. So, again, another one uh, with the exception of one stop in Beloit, uh, another one that is really pretty well centralized in that uh, in that Miami organization. Yeah, and I, I think it's very interesting to me that two former Southern League clubs are now in the same system. Um, getting called up from AA Pensacola, to triple a Jacksonville is going to take a whole lot of getting used to. It's kind of like in the Atlanta organization, two former Sally league teams. You'll get called up from Augusta to Rome. And uh, exactly. those squads used to be at the same level and in the same league. Yep. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's why we're going through this. Cause if, if we're getting confused, we know you guys are getting confused at home too. We, I, I I've meant to ask this like in a professional context, but uh, I'm just going to ask it on the podcast instead. When I first started, we had a very good spreadsheet that laid out everybody's affiliates in every organization. So we didn't get confused. And I think we need to have that again. And I need to yes. print it on like poster size paper and put it up in my office. Cause I am not going to remember any of this. I know I should put it, it takes on the a couple back months of my to door. really learn it. Yeah. Yeah. Every day, every time I leave the house, I just need to look at that and like study it. Can I admit something down, extraordinarily folks. nerdy to you? Go on. Please. I feel like you will like this. Uh, you know, some people like the, the cliche is people count sheep to fall asleep. They can't fall asleep. Yes. Another thing that I've done in, in years past. Just count down minor league teams. I go through minor league affiliates. I'll just like pick go. a division and be like, all right, NL Central. Let's go through the Milwaukee affiliates. Then I was like, okay, San Antonio and then Biloxi. Then, you know, and like eventually, I think it works. It's something for your brain to focus on while it's drifting away. But now, can't do any of that. Now I got to yeah. relearn it all. Got to reach. I know. Now that's going to be keeping you up until two o'clock. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the New York Metropolitan, Sam. Yeah. So the Mets, uh, a lot of this actually is the same. All four of these affiliates were Mets affiliates beforehand. They're staying in the system. Just a little bit of jumbling here. So at AAA, we have the Syracuse Mets. Uh, the Mets technically own tri- AAA Syracuse. A big reason for that was uh, to hammer down and lock down a AAA affiliate right here in New York. That's 240 miles uh, to City Field. Not right next door by any means, but at least it's relatively close by. Double uh, A will be the Binghamton Rumble Ponies sticking around there. Double E's, Double A. Uh, there was some question about what was going to happen to the Rumble Ponies. I, I know they were a team that uh, a lot of people were trying to follow to see what their fate was going to be. They are still around here uh, playing in Double A Northeast, so that's great to see. High A is going to be the Brooklyn Cyclones. Short F train right away from me. Uh, Brooklyn is actually serving as the alternate site for the Mets. Uh, so that's a relationship that obviously works very well. They're getting kicked up from Class A short season to high A. Uh, so that's a big move for them down there at Coney Island. 
And then low A will be the St. Lucie Mets, the former Class A Advanced uh, affiliate. They'll be moving down to low A, something we've talked about before on this show and, and at other times. Uh, the FSL is basically becoming a low A team because, or low A circuit because teams want their younger prospects who are just getting used to the rigors of everyday baseball uh, to do that in a warm environment. And if they start starting out in spring training and they basically get to stay at the same place, that really eases that transition. So that's why we're seeing teams like St. Lucie here in, in Jupiter and Miami uh, sticking around as low A affiliates now. Uh, Tyler, over to you with the Philadelphia Phillies. The Phillies will keep two teams in Pennsylvania and one in New Jersey, so uh, less than 75 miles to three of their four affiliates. Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs in Allentown, uh, 69 miles away. Very nice driving distance uh, between Lehigh Valley and Philadelphia. The Reading Fightin' Phils just 58 miles away in Baseball Town in Reading, Pennsylvania. The Jersey Shore Blue Claws, who you may remember as the Lakewood Blue Claws, uh, now known as the Jersey Shore Blue Claws, uh, with a little bit of a, a redesign for the 2020 season, technically, and uh, that never happened. So now 2021. Uh, and then the Clearwater Threshers will be the low A affiliate of the Phils located at their spring training facility in Clearwater, Florida, which is 1,054 miles away. But outside of the, the one complex team, uh, a very closely located group of affiliates for those top three levels in the system. And that brings us to our final one, the squads affiliated with the club in the nation's capital and the uh, last World Series champions from a full season play to Major League Baseball, the Washington Nationals. Yeah, so this one actually has maybe the most change of anybody in the NL East, uh, starting out right here at the top, AAA Rochester. The Rochester, formerly a Twins affiliate. We've talked about this before. The Twins are moving over to St. Paul. Super convenient for them. Uh, that left Rochester a little bit in the lurch, but Washington Nationals swoop in to take that spot. AA is going to be the Harrisburg Senators. No surprise there. The, the Nats and Har Harrisburg have been paired together for a while. Uh, another new one here at high A, the Wilmington Blue Rocks makes a lot of sense. The Blue Rocks used to be a Royals affiliate uh, for a long time that I can remember anyway. Yeah, very long uh, time. Yeah, uh, but now they they move over to the Nationals. Delaware mixing in with a team, for, obviously, in Washington, D.C. makes a lot of sense. And then Fredericksburg, who was supposed to debut last year in 2020, didn't but did house the Nationals. Uh, alternate site they move in here at low a so actually it's very easy to picture this group on, on the whole uh if you started low a fredericksburg then you work your way north from there uh, you go to wilmington in the northeast and you cut over north and west to harrisburg and then you go north to rochester uh all of these are, are pretty well centralized here um they're all within 360 miles of nats park the Fred Nats are only 56 miles away. Nobody's going to get called up from Fredericksburg straight to DC, but still the fact that these are all close is, is only going to help this system and uh, is a huge thing for the nationals because their AAA affiliate used to be in Fresno. Uh, and we know that they went through some issues in 2019 where they were playing some of their major league ready players at Harrisburg because the call-up situation was easier there. Now being at Rochester, they can put AAA ready players uh at Rochester, the call-up is going to be a lot easier, and it's just going to make a ton more sense for the Nats. So good to see this. Kind of a fun list here in, in terms of things staying the same, but a, a decent enough change as well, um, and that's the NL East for you. 
And that is uh, our final topic of discussion for this week's episode of the show. Before the show, I have one thing uh, that I want to throw in before we wrap this up today. And we're recording this on uh, on Wednesday, April 7th. And I posted a, a little thread to Twitter today about this. But um, working in baseball and, and working for teams and um, all the people that you come across uh, in the world of baseball, and especially in minor league baseball, there are people that you encounter and people that you form relationships and bonds with who are really like the glue that make the baseball world uh, what it is. And for three seasons, I got to be the radio voice of the Myrtle Beach Pelicans, then in the Carolina League. And we had a scorekeeper named Ray Worm, who was a, uh, a legend around the ballpark, a legend around the Carolina League, and uh, a guy who could just not have had a bigger heart uh, or a quicker wit or a more acidic tongue when he wanted to dunk on you with a great joke that he thought of. Um, Ray was just the greatest. He was a guy who um, taught and coached for a long time in his life and just decided as a, as a retirement gig, he was going to uh, move to Myrtle, to Myrtle beach and, uh, and was going to run the scoreboard. And literally from the Pelicans first game in franchise history for the next 20 years, I think he missed like single digit games. Um, Ray was as good of a human being as you'd ever come across working in baseball and uh, found out today that Ray passed away last night. He was 90 years old. He stepped away from doing the games uh, for the Pelicans after the 2018 season. He had done it for 20 seasons and um, really was just it was always great to see him walk into the ballpark every day. Uh, he was one of those people where, you know, when you're working a minor league front office, you're there for 10 hours before the game starts. And so by hour number eight or nine, uh, every day you're, you're looking for a little juice to a, a boost of energy and some juice for the rest of the day. And when Ray would walk in the press box door, he'd always lean slowly into the radio booth and check out me and check out whoever my assistant was at the time, make a joke at us, make a joke about us, whatever it was. And then he'd move around and set up shop and lay out all the scoring pens and the towel that he set down to rest his hands on in front of the scoreboard operating uh, control pad. And, and he had a scorebook next to him and every single game wore his headphones over his hat, listened to us every night. Uh, he used to give us words to work into the broadcast. He'd react to our jokes. He'd knock on the window and give us the thumbs up when he thought something was funny or something was good. Uh, and he was just the best man. And uh, people like Ray Worm are what make the, the baseball world go round, especially at the minor league level and, you know, the college level and the high school level and the youth levels and uh, people who, you know, volunteer or coach or teach or do all those things. And, um, Ray was somebody who I did not keep in nearly good enough touch with. Um, and I, you know, we all end up feeling that way about people I feel like who pass on in our lives. Uh, but I did back in December, send him an email for the first time in, in several years and, uh, just, you know, wanted to check in and see how things were going. I was so excited to get an email back from him, um, you know, explaining to me that he had retired and he and his wife were spending more time together and, um, and he was missing the ballpark, but it had become time to move on and uh, asked me how I was doing, asked me if I was still doing the broadcasting stuff and what all I was up to. And uh, Ray ended his email with be well, old friend and be happy. And uh, I, I'm going to miss Ray a lot. I know the Pelicans family is going to miss Ray a lot. Um, the, the reconstituted Carolina League family will miss Ray a lot. And uh, just one of, the, one of the real great ones, 90 years old, and a guy who I always admired for really seeming happy in life. Ray loved coming to the ballpark. He loved his wife. 
He loved uh, his, his extended family. He loved the fact that he had been able to coach and teach for so many years and he loved baseball and, uh, and we loved Ray. And so rest in peace to a guy who was a, a Carolina league legend and um, somebody that'll be real missed around Myrtle beach. And um, you know, for people who work in front offices or hang around ballparks, you all know those kinds of people. And when you get a chance to see them, and especially when you're, when we're all vaccinated and get a chance to, to hug them and uh, tell them what they mean to you, don't miss a moment to do that. I'm really glad that I got a chance to interact with them one last time and uh, somebody who I'll miss and to the thousands of people across minor league baseball who make things like that happen every season. We can't wait to see you at the ballparks again in a month and, uh, and get back to the, the gigantic minor league baseball family that we know and love. So that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. You can get in touch with us podcast at MILB.com. He is Sam Dykstra. I am Tyler Mon, and we will talk to you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or... I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.